Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can gather into your house, and we're thankful that we can sing to you. We're thankful, Lord, um, for the privilege of being together to worship you and to glorify your name. We acknowledge that you are worthy. You alone are worthy of all our praise. All the worship that could ever be given goes only to you, is for you. Um, Lord, we revere you and thank you for your mercy, your goodness towards us. And we acknowledge that we don't deserve it. And Father, we acknowledge our need and our dependence for you. Um, we gather to, to hear your spirit speak and to work um, to shape us, Father, through, through both the word, through the, the worship, and through the time that we have together. Lord, we pray for your, your guidance this morning. And um, I just pray that, that you would speak, even in spite of me, Lord, um, that your word would go forth in power and in clarity, and that you would um, reach out to each of us and have us to consider our state um, as we come to you, Father. And so as we open your word, Lord, um, reveal it to us as, as you see fit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's really nice to be here. It's been a little while since, uh, since we've had the opportunity. Um, and uh, I'd like to, for this morning's message, actually um, build on uh, something that I, I had the opportunity to preach in my own church recently. So uh, I was really thankful uh, in Beverly Hills last weekend to, um, to be able to share a message that the Lord had laid on my heart. And just to give you a little bit of background, um, I had so a verse really caught my eye and a couple months ago, a few months ago, and um, the Lord laid on my heart to, to really focus on it um, and to dig into it. And as I was digging, the message just expounded. And so what ended up happening in my own church is it's going to be a multi-parter. And last Sunday, we had the first uh, of a multi-part sermon. And, um, and today... I'm going to try to give you the abridged version where it's going to all gather together into one quick message. Um, and so with that being kind of a little bit of the background, I've got to ask you this question. It's a more of a rhetorical question. No need to respond. But is it better to tell your mom that you will do what she wants you to do and then not do it? Or is it better to ignore her but then go ahead and do what she asks? Fundamental question. It's asked multiple. It, it, we, we see that at, Jesus you know, shares that as a story, as a parable. Um, it's a, in a different way. He words it differently. But um, fundamentally, uh, you know, is it better to, to say yes and then don't do it? Or is it better to, to say no but then to follow through and actually do what's asked? Um, I think... For a lot of us, uh, growing up, a good way to, to get our mom off our back, thankfully my mom's not here today, um, right, to get our mom off our back would be to say, yes, sure, I'll do it. Just give me a little bit. Give me some time. And then we don't. So the Jewish people... If we go back to Deuteronomy, and we're going to start in Deuteronomy just briefly, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, um, run into the same situation. And we, uh, we see their response to a challenge multiple times. Um, they, they respond a certain way to Moses. They respond the same way to Joshua years later. Um, and then we're going to see the result of, of their commitment and their promise, right? So in, uh, 
In Deuteronomy, as a little bit of a contextual kind of background, um, in verse 13, uh, Moses is in his second sermon in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is made up of three kind of general themes. We call them sermons. Um, He's in his second one, and he says this, and he says in verse 13 of chapter 11, um, And it shall come to pass, if you shall hearken diligently unto my commandment, commandments which I command you this day, to love the Lord your God, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, that I will give you the rain of your land in his due season, the first rain and the latter rain, that thou mayest gather in thy corn and thy wine and thine oil, and I will send grass in thy fields for thy cattle, that thou may eatest, that thou mayest eat and be full. And so just really quickly, right, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, are about to enter the promised land as this in, in this context. They're supposed to take over the promised land. And if you remember the promised land, the promised land is called mil- a land of milk and honey. Um, the, the spies that went into the promised land to check it out before the people were supposed to go in had come back, and they had come back with samples of the fruit of that land. And the fruit was tremendous. It was um, incredible how rich and fertile and lush the land that they were supposed to go into was. And God here in Deuteronomy is challenging the people to follow him and to obey him. And if they do, he promises to continue to keep that land lush and fertile by giving the rain, both in the morning and in the afternoon, by providing dew on the ground, by providing the fruit and the the grass for their animals, right? It's going to be exactly what he promised, and it's going to continue to be the land that they enter. And if you you know your Old Testament, you know that the Jewish people um, say, we're going to do this, right? And, And they do it to Joshua when Joshua says later, choose you this day whom you will serve. Remember what the Jewish people say? The Israelites say, we will serve God. Joshua says, no, you're not. And they say, yes, we are. Um, they, they like commit to, to doing it, almost like some of the children, some of us. Um, when mom says, do this, we say, yes. And mom says, you're not going to do it. No, I will do it. And then we don't. Right? And probably most of us have experienced that. Some of us have experienced it as parents. And some of us experienced that as the child saying, I'm going to do it. Um, but... There's a warning in Deuteronomy, if we go back to chapter 11 for a second, in verse uh, 17, or sorry, in verse 16, it says, Take heed to yourselves that your heart be not deceived, that you, don't, that you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Like, don't do this. Um, because what's going to happen if you do? And then the Lord's wrath shall be kindled against you, and he shut up the heaven, and there be no rain, that the land yield not her fruit. Stop there. And so we see the warning. The warning is if you choose to follow other gods, if you choose your own path, if you choose to go down the route that you want to go down, there are consequences. And the consequences are that the Lord's simply going to withhold the blessing. He's going to withhold the blessing of keeping the land fertile. Okay? And so that's the background that we start this, this topic with. And, uh, and then we're going to fast forward about 700 to 800 years. So we're going to go seven centuries to eight centuries later. Um, in 1 Kings, uh, we, we are introduced really the, the, the meat of the message today. And so turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're introduced uh, to our main character. And our main character in 1 Kings chapter 17 is the prophet Elijah. 
And we don't know much about the prophet Elijah before 1 Kings 17. In fact, we don't know anything about him before 1 Kings 17. Um, but this is what we do know is taking place in the time of 1 Kings chapter 17. We know, uh, based on what it says beforehand, that, that the land is in a bad place. Not necessarily from a lack of water, but from a lack of leadership in following the Lord. We know that we have a king named Ahab, who's famous for being awful. Uh, and we have a queen that he married, whose name is Jezebel, who is so famous uh, that, that her name still resonates today, right? And if you call somebody a Jezebel today, uh, that's not a good thing. If somebody has called you Jezebel today um, to your face, they were not giving you a compliment. Uh, Jezebel today is the opposite of a compliment, right? And so if you want to insult somebody, call them a Jezebel. Not saying you should do that, but that's how bad that name is. Don't name your kid Jezebel, right? Just as a piece of advice, right? <laughs> so that's how bad the land was. That, 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 that name, her name, has resonated throughout history for being evil and awful. And so we're in a time in the land of Israel, in the promised land, where there's evil running rampant through the country, where the worship of Baal and Ashtoreth um, is, is rampant, where all the priests and the prophets and, and the, the, the followers of Jehovah have been slaughtered, have been killed by Jezebel, um, and the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, the, these false gods, reign supreme throughout the land. And they are, they are proselytizing and forcing people to convert to the worship of false gods. That's where we're at in the time, in this world today. Sounds a lot like our world today. Um, we don't physically have Baal and Ashtoreth temples, but you've got the equivalent of them today, right? And so we're, we're in a world that is in a bad place. And we get introduced to Elijah in chapter 17, verse 1. And we read, And Elijah the Tishbite, who is of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. Bam! Our introduction to Elijah is a, his prophecy to the king. There's not going to be any more rain. And he's obviously referencing back to Deuteronomy, right? He's referencing back to the, the passages that we read. Um, it actually repeats itself, that prophecy that we read in Deuteronomy 11. If you look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 23 and 24, this is what God says, "...in the heaven that is over thy head shall be brass." And the implication there is that it's just going to be gold, like sun, like dry, right? That, that image of a brass day would be not a blue sky, but kind of like a gold sky, like dust in the air. And the earth that is under thee shall be iron. The prophecy is that you're going to try to till the earth, and it's going to be like trying to till or dig through iron. The Lord shall make the, the rain of thy land powder and dust. And so that's the prophecy, and this is what Elijah is prophesying to the king. And, and so what you got to ask yourself, and part of our, the message today is, let's, we're focusing on Elijah and his story um, within this context, is what is Elijah thinking when God tells him, this is the prophecy that you need to tell the king, right? And if you were Elijah this morning, and the king told you, I'm sorry, the king, the Lord 
told you, this is the prophecy that you need to share with the king, where would you be at? What would you be feeling? Would you be excited? Would it be about time? It's about time. I remember that prophecy from 700 years ago. It's about time, God, that you did something. Let's go. Is that, is that the attitude? Or would it be, well, can somebody else do it? Um, would there be some consternation about the fact that the king has already killed all the prophets of Jehovah? And so if I go, what's he going to do to me? We don't know any of that. All of those are up for, up for grabs as part of what Elijah might have been thinking. What we do know is that Elijah goes and he says it to Ahab. He delivers the message. Now, what's Ahab's response? We don't know Ahab's response immediately either. Um, maybe he laughed in the moment because maybe the land was very fertile still. Right? The, the, the prophecy is that the rain's going to stop, which means there is rain. And so the land was likely fertile. The land was likely producing fruit. And so perhaps the king just rolled his eyes and said, you're, you're a nutcracker, you're, you're crazy, just and, and moved on. Right? We don't know. Perhaps Elijah already had a reputation. There is a sense in, in the following passages that, that there is already a respect of Elijah because he had a name for himself as being a prophet. And so perhaps, just perhaps, um, Ahab was a little nervous about what, about what Elijah was going to say. But all we know is that the land seems to be plentiful, and it's not going to be plentiful, and Elijah has to deliver that message. And Ahab doesn't seem to take it too seriously because he doesn't have Elijah killed. Otherwise, the message would just end. Um, and so the message continues, and the story continues because Elijah is alive. But, God knows what's coming. And if we look, if you got your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to open them up, and let's just kind of follow along as we dive into this. Um, if we look ahead a little bit, just out of, out of order, in chapter 18, verse 10 of 1 Kings, so this is now, by the way, just fast-forwarding three years or so, um, we read this about what was happening in those three years, in this, between when Elijah's statement to Ahab and this verse in verse 10. As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord, my Lord is Ahab, hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. So Ahab was desperately in the background trying to find Elijah. Probably to torture him, to kill him. Probably to get him to force him to say, let it rain. But he's desperately looking in the background for Elijah. Um, in fact, he's sending, he's sending messengers to countries all around the area saying, is Elijah here? And he's making them promise, swear, that Elijah is not there. Okay, that's kind of the, 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 the background. Um, so what does God do? Let's go back to 1 Kings 17, verse 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, unto Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, turn thee eastward, hide thyself by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. Okay, so I was thinking about this. This is a, just kind of a really cool 
story, a really cool moment. God speaks to Elijah and he says, I need you to go hide. I've got a hiding place prepared. I'm going to have water for you and I'm going to have food. So God knows, even though Elijah might be anticipating it, God knows that Ahab is going to be looking for him and he's got a place for him. And so he goes and he has Elijah hide by the brook. So there's a running stream. I would imagine there's maybe a juniper tree or some trees or some shade. And there's a brook running and Elijah's hiding there. Um, He can drink the water. And it's so cool. Birds are coming and landing in the morning and in the afternoon. And they're dropping off bread and they're dropping off meat. And I I had to imagine... uh, you know, if social media was going on back in those days, um, what would be happening, what would be filling up social media um, chats and blogs and posts about birds swooping in to steal bread from bakery windows or meat from places because he was being delivered bread. And so the bread was coming from somewhere and those birds were landing and grabbing bread and, and then maybe they'd make a movie out of it called Birds or the Ravens or something today, right? Um, pun intended. Uh, and so uh, what's interesting about it is that, that Elijah, even though this is so cool, and I've thought about this, would be cool, right? If I was the prophet and if I was um, having to deliver this message, it'd be kind of cool to, to, to be under a tree in the wilderness, having birds landing, delivering me food, delivering me bread. Um, it'd get old after a while, but it would be really kind of cool to see how God is working. Um, it is interesting this, we won't go into this today, but it is interesting that, that the ravens were an unclean animal uh, delivering food to Elijah. And so he had to come to terms with God was telling him something here. Um, so that's a sidebar, which we won't get into. But what's interesting also is that the brook slowly starts to get a little shallower and a little narrower. And if you're Elijah and you're full of confidence, what does it take to shake your confidence in God's task for you? It's interesting that that the, the shaking of the confidence is not happening like a hammer on a nail at once. What's interesting here is that, that as the drought that Elijah prophesied continues, what happens? the water slowly, gradually fades. And that brook that was his place to get water doesn't just stop, right? That's not how it works. It just gradually gets narrower and gets shallower. And if you're Elijah sitting in the shade of a tree or behind some rocks, and the birds are still landing morning and evening and delivering you bread and, bread and meat, and you're watching that brook get narrower, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, God's got this? I know I'm in God's hand. God is the one that commanded me. Are you getting nervous? Are you praying, God? I trust that you will give me food. I trust that you will give me bread. I also trust that this brook that is narrowing will, will, if it goes away, that you will provide other water. 
And what to me was so fascinating about this, this, this passage is that if you continue reading, um, that God doesn't give him other direction until the brook dries up. And so sometimes, even in our lives, right, we have to wait for God to give us direction. And we have to wait and perhaps until the circumstances seem dire. And Elijah had to wait for the brook, apparently, seemingly, to stop, for the water to stop before God gave him another direction and what the next step in this plan was going to be. And if I, I had to put myself in those shoes, I, I think I'd be getting a little nervous. I'd be thinking, did I hear God correctly? Did I miss a statement that God had given? Did God give direction that because I was tired or sleeping or too focused on how cool it was that the birds were coming or too focused on the fact that they were unclean or too focused on something else that I missed the message? And so I'm actually not where I'm supposed to be right now because God said that he was going to take care of me. He gave me direction, and yet the brook is drying up. Now, Joshua has a series of ups and downs over the next three years. His next step here, which we're not going to get into today, um, he goes to Zarephath with the widow and her son. And if you know that story, um, then you know what happens next. If you don't know the story, uh, he, he actually takes care of the widow. She has an, um, an endless supply of meal and an endless supply of oil coming from two separate pots that she didn't have before Elijah showed up. And so he provides her with provision. He also... Uh, raises her son from the dead after he dies. He, after that, um, he gets direction from God. And we look at chapter 18, verse 1, and it reads, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the third year, in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And so after three years um, of of kind of living in secret places, faraway places. Zarephath was not part of Israel at the time. It was a, it was a hidden away place. Um, after three years, he gets the message from God that the task that I have given you seemingly is coming to a conclusion. And you need to go and, and tell Ahab that the rain is going to come. And we're not going to get into that passage either. Um, that's all of chapter 18. But he meets Obadiah. He meets another prophet who is secretly hidden. Um, prophets of Jehovah in caves during this time so they wouldn't be killed by Jezebel. He talks to Ahab. And he tells Ahab uh, what needs to happen. He, there's the test on the mount right, um, where the fire comes down. And he, he fights and competes and has this test of the gods, if you will, against the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth, against him. And he wins. God reveals himself to be the one true God in this moment in chapter 18. We, if you know the story, um, bear with me, but those are all, that's all what's been happening here in, in this time. God reveals himself to be the one true God. Um, fire comes down, devours the sacrifice, the people that are all around see it. Uh, Elijah says, kill the prophets of Baal. 450 prophets of Baal are killed. The prophets of the groves are killed too. Um, there's this great, great kind of reawakening in understanding who Jehovah is. 
as compared to all these false gods that the people have been worshiping. And, and Elijah then says to his servant, remember, and I'm going to paraphrase here, go look at the edge of the cliff. Is there a cloud coming? And that happens multiple times, and eventually there's a little small cloud, and before you know it, that cloud becomes rain, right? And the rain comes. And as we conclude chapter 18, the rain has come. The prophets of Baal have been killed. Everybody is refocused and reinvigorated on Jehovah. And Elijah's task is complete. He started the task three years earlier with there will be no rain. He's concluded three years later that there is going to be rain, and here it is. The prophets, the false prophets are dead. The false gods are humiliated. God is real. He's seen as the one true God, and if the rain has come, my task is done. And Elisha hurries almost supernaturally to Jerusalem to get there before Ahab to see what, what Ahab is going to tell Jezebel. And the, the, the sense that I get is that there's this anticipation perhaps to see repentance from Ahab and Jezebel, from, to see an acknowledgement of Jehovah as the one true God as he comes to Jerusalem with his task done, right? And with all that anticipation of what he's going to see in Jerusalem, he, he just ran. I forget how many, I didn't even bother looking at how many miles um, from where he was at to Jerusalem to see what Ahab was going to tell Jezebel and what, what the reaction was going to be when they realized and acknowledged Jehovah as God. Only to have Jezebel say that I'm going to kill you. You are a dead man. What you did to my prophets, I'm doing to you before tomorrow, if I remember correctly. So he thinks his task is complete. He thinks and sees that the people, that there's been a reawakening, that there's been a resurgence, that there's been a revival. And he expects something. Either God's judgment on them or a repentance and acknowledgement of God from the king and the queen and from the court and from the leaders in Jerusalem. And it doesn't happen. And so the, the last part of the message this morning is actually kind of the punchline. And, and we, we, we start that in, in 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Which means in one day, 24 hours, you're going to be dead. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. And so Elijah flees for his life, okay? And that's what that means. He went for his life, he flees. And we have Elijah coming from a literal mountaintop experience to fleeing for his life. And he, I love these little details that we get that show it to be real, right? He leaves his servant in Beersheba. Um, you know, the kind of the fact that one, one person can hide better than two, but also there's no reason for you to die if I have to die. She didn't 
sentence you to death. She sentenced me to death. So she leave, he leaves his servant at Beersheba, and he goes on to the wilderness. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I've done enough. I'm not more significant. I'm not any better. I'm not any more important than my grandfather, than my father, than those that came before me. It's enough. Let me die. The act of discouragement, frustration. You know, um, I thought about Elijah, and on some level, Elijah, maybe, if it was me, if I put myself in Elijah's shoes, saw himself making a difference three years earlier, acknowledged the prophecies that had come 700 years before, and perhaps saw himself making a difference for God in a country that was just permeated with evil. And three years later, he sees the conclusion of that difference coming, right? It's like the circle's being closed. I've been given a task, and I'm seeing the task to its end, and I'm expecting something from taking that task from the beginning to taking it to its end. But what happens? What happens when I do what I'm told? I obey with all my heart. I have God's best interest in mind with everything I have. And it just gets worse. And the difference that I thought I was going to make is no difference at all. What do I do? If I'm a follower of God, what do I do? What difference am I really making? Just let me die. I've done my part, God. I've done my part. I did what you asked. Just let me die. And so he sits under this juniper tree and he falls asleep in that state. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And, and, all right, so, you know, I read this many times, but I never really thought about what happens in 1 Kings 17 and what happens in 1 Kings 19? And what we see when we compare those two is we see God's mercy, we see God's faithfulness, we see God's commitment to us. We see God's heart. Because in 1 Kings 17, He gave Elijah what he needed. 
He gave him running water in a brook and birds to feed him. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah is no longer the same man. Elijah is also worn out and discouraged. And in this time, there's no running water and there's no birds feeding him. No, there's an angel. There's an angel that comes to shake him and wake him up and say, hey, wake up, wake up. Gotta eat. You have to eat. And look at what is really there. And he looked in verse six of chapter 19, and he looked and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And so the angel had built a fire, had baked some bread, had brought a bowl and filled it with water, set it by his head. And when he woke him, he just said, eat. You need to eat. See, God provides. For faithful to our Lord. God provides, and he meets us where we're at, and he knows our needs, and we see the heart of God here. We see his mercy. We see his kindness. We see the father who knows what the child needs, and so he has food prepared, and there's no birds landing with just some bread that's been stolen, or maybe an animal that's been caught. No, in this case, it's prepared, and so what does he do? He he. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And so, you know, Elijah's worn out. He is struggling. He's in despair versus the confidence that he had in, verse, in chapter 17. And then the angel wakes him again and does the same thing. And this is the verse that started this whole thought process. This is the verse that convicted me to really think about this. In verse 7, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat. And so remember, it happens once. Now it's happening a second time. So he fall back asleep after he ate. The angel comes back, shakes him again, says, arise and eat. And probably the same thing is laid out before him the second time. But there's a punchline here the second time. And this is the punchline that is for all of us. And the punchline that the angel says, says, arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. You're not done yet. I've got more for you to do. I need you to eat and get your strength back because you need to keep going. You might have thought that the task was done, but it's not. I mean, the irony is that, so on this, on, on this bread and water that he has, He's going to travel another 40 days and make it to Mount Horeb. And in Mount Horeb, if you know your, if your 
your stories in First Kings, he experiences God in a very close and intimate way. And it's not in the thunder, and it's not in the wind, it's in the still small voice we read, um, right? That's where he hears God talk. Elijah also continues to anoint a new king in Syria. He anoints a new king in Israel. And, and before he goes up to be with God, he introduces a new servant, a new prophet named Elisha. And Elijah, who at this moment in time probably saw himself as making no difference at all, is one of two people who's with Jesus on that night that Peter and John see him before Jesus is crucified in that, in that, in that time frame, right? And so Elijah, who thought he was making no difference at all in this moment, makes all the difference in the world. We look at Elijah and the story and what he does with, with Ahab, and it transcends time, and it transcends history, and it impacts us today. And he thought he was done and he was ready to die. You know, we don't prepare for the next step in our journey on mountaintops. We don't prepare for the next step in our journey in the tasks that God has before us as his children. Where the skies are blue, the birds are singing, the sun is bright, the fields are pretty and there's no insects. And it's all perfect. That's not where we prepare. Where we prepare where God prepares us, actually, is in the desert, under the bush. Or maybe it's the creek that forces us to have faith as it shrinks. Where maybe we're, see this, the, how cool it is to have birds giving us food so unexpectedly. Or maybe it's an angel saying, you're not done yet. And that journey, that journey that I've got for you is too great. So you got to eat. You got to eat. You got to drink. You got to be strong. Because I've got more for you to do. I want to close with one verse just that struck me. Um, it's actually, sorry, it's three verses. Uh, it's in Job 23. And um, just listen to this. Be behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth, myself, him. he hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. but he knows 
the steps that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come out as gold. Gold.